Hello, everybody. This is Jerry Lee standing in for the Manifester. And once again, we are so happy to have you here with us tonight. So, we're getting ready to really unload a big message. And um, I think you'll find this to be a very important message. Uh, it won't be like anything that you probably have heard before. Uh, that shouldn't be anything too new with being involved with the manifest teachings. <clears throat> so, we'll start chapter 11. Chapter 11, the book of Revelations. So, turning with me to chapter 11, beginning with verse 1. And, now whenever you see an and, not every time, sometimes they're just conjunctions or other uh, uses uh, in the parts of speech vocabulary. But many times, an is a perfect uh, synecdoche. And uh, synecdoche means that there are sometimes in a verse or in a sentence or even in a word uh, other parts that are not expressed. And that when the rest of the parts are expressed it gives you a fuller detail of what the context is really about because after all as you know the context of almost even any given subject in the Bible is spread throughout the Bible so you may be in in the book of Revelations but there may be something in Genesis that perfectly fulfills the total meaning of what you are referring to in the book of Revelations. So, um, in the aspect of contextuality, it is just really, really important to have the feel, the vibration, the, rea the reality, the manifestation of the wholeness of the context of the Bible. And then there are things that the Spirit has a way of lift lifting and um, and putting into deeper and higher magnitudes. And those are such things as we've talked about uh, the 30, 60, uh, 100-fold, uh, you know, the, the different attributes of those. And then there are the ranges, you know, uh, where uh, the, the spectrums and the manifolds fall within the uh, corporate uh, aspect of those 30, 60, 100-fold uh, uh, revelations. So, um, it's, all, it's all exciting and it's all interesting. Uh, and we start off here tonight in chapter 11, verse 1, And there was given me a reed like unto a rod. And the angel stood, saying, Rise, and measure the temple of God and the altar and them that worship therein. You know, the Bible gives many examples that there always comes a time after the transaccumulation of a lifetime of living, a lifetime of actions, a lifetime of deeds, and that point, that moment comes when a person has to come to the time of being assessed for what they have done. 
And this is talking about a day that God is going to judge the temple. Call it the church if you want to. There's many things that it could apply to. Uh, the corporate body. The corporate mind. But that, that temple is going to be, is going to be assessed. It's going to be measured. And it wouldn't have any relevance if there was no sense or no logic or no spiritual point as to where the subject was deriving from. It has to be some point of reality as to what the measurement is expected to be. So it's not just a matter a matter of saying, okay, well, uh, what is the measurement of the temple? Uh, that's an old established one fact. The temple's been around a long, long time in 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 the uh, gallery of thoughts that go along with this old word from God, the Bible, and. <clears throat> It goes on, it says, um, measure the altar. Well, what would you measure the altar? Well, measure the use of the altar. How often is it being used? Who are the persons using it? How are they using it? What are the depths of sincerity? What are the reasons, the purposes? Uh, are, are there collective occasions in which people are pouring themselves out, uh, making their their offerings of prayers unto God. Uh, what exactly is it? And notice this person to whom the word has come and to who had received this rod um, was told to rise. Whenever you are put into an exalted position and Exalted position is a change from common ground. It's moving into a spiritual spiral that uh, has the capability of levitating you above anything that uh, you do when you walk on common ground. And as we consider that, and as we take note of that in this this wonderful outpouring of the word in the book of Revelations uh, and measure there's another and measure the temple of God and the altar rise to do this you've got to rise to do this and them that worship therein there's a time that how we worship is going to mean everything because the Bible says the day will come that you will neither worship in one particular given mountain or another particular given mountain, regardless of which one has the most notoriety or the most fame. And the only ones that are really going to make uh, deep forward progress will be those who worship God in the Spirit, because God is a Spirit. And so the translation of, of word isn't just uh, spun around an idiom of what is your traditional uh, vocation and your traditional method of how you usually 
worship or usually do something that is uh, involved in your religious uh, affairs and methods. But this is spun around something, elevated, you got to rise to it, elevated beyond the common walk, elevated into a spiritual, uh, uh, you know, uh, spiritual parallel, and, and uh, it, it has something very important there. And so pe- people eventually one day are going to say, okay, how are these people, um, how are these people worshiping? Well, the question is not being asked to be searched out for the benefit of God needing to be informed. God already knows. But it's, it's, it's for the sake of the person, person that has been endowed, uh, with the ministry to go out and measure. And, uh, so that that person could, by the, by the, the, the effort and the action of measuring, uh, come into the knowledge of what is really going on uh, in these three sets. The three sets being, uh, number one, uh, the measure of the temple. Number two, the measure of the altar. Number three, uh, the measure of the persons who are worshiping therein, worshiping in the temple and involved uh, with the altar. So this is for that purpose. Then there are some things that it's not ever meant for you to, 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 to uh, if you're given this call, if you're into this endowment of light, uh, if you have been illuminated to do this certain thing. Uh, sometimes there are certain um, uh, positions, uh, locations, uh, degrees of, of, um, of inappropriate uh, direction for you to go with your measurements. Uh, because as it says in verse 2 of Revelations 11, but the court which is without the temple, this is almost like the outer court, uh, leave it out. Do not measure it. It is given to the Gentiles, and the holy city shall they tread underfoot for three and a half years. Now, three and a half years is an interesting thing. That comes up quite often. We see that uh, three and a half days was uh, circulated around in a special way of understanding that had to do with Jesus' time of being in the grave and then rising from the dead. Uh, it's, it's a very important figure, and I probably could, uh, could speak a big part of this teaching just on that, but that's not the teaching tonight. And, Senecdoche, I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days clothed in sackcloth. Twelve hundred and sixty days, they are going to be with great power. They are called the two witnesses, and they're going to be clothed in sackcloth. And we're going to discuss, well, who are these two witnesses? That, of course, is the, uh, the pivot of our uh, quest tonight uh, for the benefit of you listeners. Uh, of course, there has been all kinds of preachers and ministers and theories and philosophies and doctrine 
that has been preached on this chapter and on the subject of the two witnesses. And it has often been expounded uh, as those two persons being Elijah and Moses. And the main reason given is because of the kind of miracles that Moses and Elijah uh, were given to do that uh, is similar in some ways to what the two witnesses uh, are shown here uh, as uh, being part of their ministry and part of their prophecies. And so they've just sort of uh, uh, hooked on to that and said, well, this must be uh, Elijah <coughs> and this must be um, Moses. They're coming back. They're going to take bodies and they're going to uh, going to minister. Well, I think that that's all cute. And if somebody really, really, really just wants to believe that, uh, I, I certainly uh, am not going to mess you up. Uh, uh, you know, you just go ahead and believe it and, you know, be happy and smile and, and uh, be comfortable with what you're comfortable. Uh, but if you do listen to this whole teaching here tonight, you might not be comfortable with that idea any longer. So consider that uh, <coughs> whether you want to... Um, pop out on me or not. <laughs> All right. So um, we're going to talk about who these two witnesses are. In the fourth verse, it goes into a very interesting, uh, very interesting picturesque, descriptive type of thing. Number Chapter uh, 11, verse 4. These are, these what? These two persons, two witnesses, they are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. Now let's just stop there a minute. And we could say, whoa, these two witnesses are actually olive trees? Okay, so... They're olive trees, so we can maybe sort of say, okay, that's a metaphor. It's a parable. It's, it's a, a paradigm. It's a symbol. But then immediately it's thrown in and two candlesticks. So these two witnesses, they're, it doesn't say in here they are alike, L-I-K-E, like two olive trees and, and it doesn't just say they are like two olive trees or they are two olive trees um, it says these are the these are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth Wow. If any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies. Now, the, the only thing, going back into great history, that, um, unless you, you know, unless you get into some of the, the myths, uh, you know, but one of the most, of course, famous myth 
uh, is the fire-breathing dragon. And fire coming out of the dragon's mouth and uh, devouring, uh, you know, his victims. And um, the dragon being the predator. But now we have these two witnesses, which are two olive trees, which are two candlesticks, which, if any persons on earth get the idea that they might like to stop their ministry or stop them being whatever they are, being candlesticks and being olive trees and being witnesses, they have the power, they being the witnesses, have the power to cause fire to come out of their mouth and devour, devour their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. And that's all in interesting language. If any man will hurt them, it could have said, he will be killed in this manner, or he could be killed in this manner. But it says he must be killed in this manner. If they try to hurt these two witnesses, then there is a, le a legend, there is... Uh, a schismatics there is a lattice uh, of how the procedure must react as to these persons who are trying to kill these two witnesses and the reaction um, directs toward those persons must be killed but not just killed they must be they must be killed um, in a certain manner. You don't just kill them. You kill them in a certain manner. It's like having a, a you know, someone saying, okay, uh, you can't hang them. You can't drown them. Um, you can't, uh, uh, you know, shoot them with a gun. Uh, you can't, you know, and had a whole list of things you couldn't do to kill these two witnesses or pardon me could, that you, all these things that you could not do to kill these persons who were wanting or trying to kill the two witnesses those that were attempting or wanting to kill the two witnesses there was a, a restriction a specific um, method that was to be used on how those persons were to be killed and um, and it says the witnesses have the power to shut the heavens that it rain not in the days of their prophecy now the you know um, their prophecies um, are going to last a while because it says they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and three score days <laughs> whoa 1260 uh, 12 um, yeah 160 days 1260 days so uh, if it didn't rain uh, during the whole time of their prophecies then uh, it's saying that those people would possibly die of thirst they would have eventually nothing to drink 
and they would die of thirst. Hmm. What exactly does this all mean? Well, we're going to talk about that. And to have power over waters to turn them to blood. Now, of course, that was a big thing in the book of, um, of the Old Testament when Moses was going before the Egyptians and before specifically when he was going before uh, Pharaoh in Exodus um, chapter 7, verse 17. And um, there's some interesting things about that. He was um, told to use the rod. Isn't that interesting? The rod. Because in this first verse, we start this whole chapter off with the rod. Measuring the temple. Measuring the altar. Measuring the response of the people. And now... uh, we're involved here with something that has a reminiscence. It has a, a very similar ring to what happened in Exodus chapter 7, verse 17, on through, I think it's the 22nd verse. When Moses was told, Go before the Pharaoh, have the Pharaoh standing there and watch you. Take your rod, and when you put your rod over the river, it will turn to blood. And not just the river, maybe that was denial, but the other, but rivers and ponds and pools, you know, and, 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 and streams. All were to turn to blood. Now, are we really to believe that it turned to real blood? And there will be some of you out there say, well, that's what the Bible says, so that's exactly what happened. Well, don't be so high and mighty and so absolutely sure that you know the Bible so well that you can make a statement like that. Because what kind of blood was it? Was it pig's blood? Was it the blood of uh, of uh, you know, warthogs, or was it the blood of uh, of frogs? And for there to be that much blood to fill the rivers, the pond, the ponds, the pools, the streams, <coughs> how many things would have to be killed? This would be the result of a mass murder. A mass murdering of, of thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands, and maybe even more than that, creatures to create that much blood. And what kind of blood? So are you sure you know what you're talking about? Of course... Most anyone that's done any real reading knows that um, Moses was raised up in the court of Pharaoh. And not only was he a warrior, and history says that he went out and fought great wars, but he was a magician. That's one of the things that he learned. 
someone says, oh, are you saying, um, is that what you are thinking? Just listen to what I have to say the whole story, because that's very important. So here, here is the thing. Um, he did what he did with the rod, and according to the description that's given in the Bible, being the translation that it is, being the without interpretation form that it is, it turned into blood. We don't know the kind of blood based on that without interpretation. We don't know the substance of this thing that they're calling blood without interpretation. We don't know the color without interpretation. But we know that there's something unusual happened there. But then the interesting thing and this is the thing that every Christian and every person that really wants to know the truth should really think about and really look about when they are uh, into such a thing as this. Because here's what the scripture actually said happened. It says that, that Moses first introduced the rod performance of casting his rod down and it turning into a serpent. Then the Pharaoh went and got his magicians. And the magicians, everyone took his rod and cast it down and their rods became serpents. And then it goes on to say that then Moses turns the river and all these other streams into blood and the magicians went out and did the same thing. The magicians did the same thing. And that's in verse 22. And the water of the river, or verse 21, the water of the river, uh, and, and there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. And the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Neither did he hearken unto them as the Lord had said. Now, here's what is interesting. If Moses had already turned all the rivers and the waters in all of Egypt to where no one could drink of any of the water of the rivers throughout all the land of Egypt, as it says in verse 21 of Exodus chapter 7, then how would there be any rivers streams, ponds, pools left for the Egyptian magicians to turn into blood. I suppose they could do like the common people were doing, dig down in the sand where the blood would be filtered by the sand 
and they could get, you know, decent water. And then they could take that water, uh, but it wouldn't be a river, and it wouldn't be a pond, and they could turn that little hole of water into blood. But I guess the point is, if the magicians could turn their rods into serpents, and if the magicians could use their enchantments and end up performing a repeat of the same thing that Moses was doing with his rod, what exactly is the message in that? What is the message? There is a message. There is a message. And I want to leave that with you for a little bit. Let that sort of uh, simulate. Sort of blink on and off, blink on and off, blink on and off. While you are um, thinking on that and uh, is settling into your mind, you may get some, some ideas. And those ideas might quicken you, help you prepare for the rest of all that is to be said here today. And honestly, I cannot promise you that I can complete this teaching of the two witnesses in one time around. I may need to at least come back next week to even begin to think about finishing it. But if we were just to take a break and we were to look at this thing about the rod, because we're starting off with the rod. Uh, the rod is an interesting term. And um, uh, if you've got a really big, full-fledged dictionary, um, you would see that um, the cross has also and is, and is also called the rod. And it's also called uh, a scepter. It's called a staff. And um, you might remember in Psalms 23, when David said, Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And both the rod and the staff, both the rod and the staff, um, actually uh, are rods. The staff is a rod, and the rod is a rod. So you want to be sure that you do understand that because that is uh, that is a fact. Okay? Alright. So, let's talk about some other things about the cross. Well, not the cross, but the rod. Um, uh, even stems of tender plants are sometimes called uh, a rod. And um, the rod is... Um, is a measuring device and in the language of anatomy um, and in medical languages uh, the rod uh, is a term that is used to describe uh, 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 you know uh, things in the eyes and the ears and I won't go into the medical uh, dictionary of that uh, perhaps in another time when I've got more time but I just say it in that simplistic layman type of way, uh, and it's, it, I think that's isn't that interesting that in a human application, rods are terms that apply to 
you know, something that affects the colors that you see in your eyes, has to do with seeing, and something that affects the, the hearing in your in your ears. And uh, I think I think that is a quite a place for that to go. And then even the Ark of the Covenant that had the staves that went through the little ring holders, those were also called uh, rods. And um, uh, you know, in Zechariah uh, eleven seven, it talks about um, the staves, which also means rods of beauty and of bands. And there's all kinds of interesting uh, uh, scriptures that we could get into. Uh, the the rod of um, of Aaron that bloomed, and Jacob with his little rods that he made that he put before uh, you know the cattle, and it affected their genetics and their offspring. Uh, my, what an incredible possibility this thing with rods uh, could be, and we're just barely barely touching on it because the subject is quite enlarged and uh, I have done teachings on the rod that uh, you know has spread over several weeks in the past just the subject the rod but uh, anyway let's go back to the scripture and we're back now in uh, Revelations 11 and um, we're talking about the power given to the two witnesses and we're talking about the power that they have to shut uh, the heaven, verse 6, so that it would not rain in the days of their prophecy. And uh, they have the power over water to turn them to blood. You know? And that is, uh, that is quite the thing. And to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. Now, the one of the things that I want to get to you and this is very very important and that is that if you read the Bible without the understanding of the unusual mysterious way in which it is written then by the time you're through with the Bible it is not uh, impossible or even difficult for you to leave off from reading it having the feeling that the Bible is a very um, vengeful book uh, a, a, a very um, warring type of book uh, a book that, uh, that has a lot of uh, death and disease and plagues and threats uh, that seems to all be summed up as a retribution from God uh, and and when a person looks at that and understands it that way uh, as there are uh, millions of people that do uh, many of those persons get turned off from believing the Bible because it's difficult for them to get the, to get the idea that there would be a God of love who who is so uh, involved uh, in, in, in the predatorial aspect of the punishment of the humans that step out of line and so if you don't understand it in the way that it's really meant to be understood then uh, the Bible becomes you know a book of dark sentences and, and a book of, of uh, foreboding and, and fearful and threatening 
threatens punishment, it threatens plague, it threatens famine, it threatens death, it, it threatens hell, it threatens all kinds of things uh, via the word of God if you, if you are to apply it in the way uh, that it is written without interpretation. Now, a beautiful thing was said um, on the day of Pentecost, or as a result of the day of Pentecost, in which there was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And that was that if you received a, a gift of tongues, and you got up and you spoke, and, and you spoke in tongues, and you did not understand what it was saying, and the people could not understand what you were saying, because it had to be interpreted. So, Paul taught, he says, if you do not have an interpreter, then you should not give that tongues. And the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. So, just because you feel, uh, you know, uh, an impulse to, to speak in tongues, uh, you're not to do it unless you know that there are interpreters there that are available to interpret your message in tongues. You're not to do it unless you know that. Well, what people do not understand, when they read the Bible, and they read it in Hebrew or Greek or English or whatever other language, the way that it was written uh, is written in a mysterious language. And it cannot be understood in many aspects of its message without there being an interpreter to interpret it. And you can see how true that that is in the book of Daniel. When the angel came and just spoke, uh, you know, English words to, 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 to uh, David, and uh, not to David, but to Daniel, and referred uh, to Daniel about other scriptures, like what Jeremiah had spoken, and, and other men of God. And, and uh, uh, Daniel uh, thought he understood what those things meant, but it seemed like, based on how he understood the prophecy, that the prophecies had failed, that, that, that they, had, they had missed, and therefore, how could some of the greatest prophets that, that they had uh, have made false prophecies? And if those same prophets who made false prophecies of that nature uh, were the ones that also had prophecies that seemed to be giving them hope as to when uh, Jerusalem and the people of Israel would be delivered, how could they have any confidence on that or in those prophecies? And the angel said, you know, these Sabbath days aren't just days. Some of them are weeks, some of them are months, some of them are years. And, and you have to understand that in order to understand the prophecy. So there had to be an interpretation of tongues, of the things that seem to be written in just regular English, but in all truth and in all fact, uh, they're, they are written mysteriously and they're written with codes and without the spirit of God to interpret that word which I mean I'm talking about just the Bible the plain Bible that you read without having the Holy Spirit to interpret it for the church then 
there's going to only be a very small amount of things that people will really understand and have a true sense of reality as to those meanings. And and there's there's going to be uh, there's going to be things happen like for instance, um, uh, and I, I often quote this, but it's it's such a beautiful example uh, when Moses and Israel was fleeing from Pharaoh, and they were stopped at the Red Sea, and they couldn't go any further, and it was toward the evening time, and there was this cloud cover that was over them and when the children of Israel and Moses and, and, and the, the leaders who were scouting for them could, would look at this uh, these clouds and, and the scenery that was overhead in the heavens above them uh, it was as if angels ha- were, were there and were, guardi- were guardians to them and and they could they could they could understand and feel uh, feel that and, and see that and, and find relief and comfort in that because they had I'm sure Moses and other men of God there to interpret what it was that they were seeing in the clouds the language that was that was happening and and they they got the interpretation of it and then they could say oh yes now I can see it but then along was coming. Pharaoh's army who had been given orders to bring the children of Israel back and when those soldiers looked up they did not have anyone that could interpret those spiritual clouds and those spiritual things and to them it, it was intensely dark and foreboding and, and it had a certain um, fearful uh, you know uh, uh, a fearful aspect about it. So, although they were looking at the same things, at the same clouds and overhead that the children of Israel were, they, without it being interpreted, but just looking at it as a person would say, "Well, I'm, I'm just seeing it as it is." Well, you think you are, but some things are spiritual, or have, are, are, are or are enfolded in mysteries and need to be interpreted. And if you don't have an interpreter, you're going to see it the way you think it looks as being the case of how it really is, when in fact, that is not how it really is. And you'll not know without an interpreter. So, when you take these seven totally holy, purified angels, and they they are angels that are involved in the holy praises of God and these are purified uh, purified entities and then they are given this job and they come out and you know these trumpets blow and these seals are unsealed and all these things happen and in every case as we look at all these according to to how it it appears on the surface without an interpreter it looks like that um, that everything that these practically practically everything that these angels reveal with the blast of a trumpet or with any of of, of their declaratory uh, uh, causations that 
they all have to do with terrible destructive forces and plagues and terrible things uh, of suffering that is uh, broadcast upon the human race and and you know it seems so un so not spiritual so unqualified uh, for these spiritual beings to the be the ones coming out and and uh, setting off triggering all of these uh, terrible uh, destructive things upon the human race regardless of what they've done committed or not done or committed and and that is exactly how it is read by by people who believe that they are ministers of God who and and, and in their own uh, understanding they are but but in the understanding of of the thirty sixty hundred fold they may just be in the thirty fold that that does not have the power to interpret those verses and and those sayings because because the range and the magnitude of understanding those scriptures is greater of degree than can be unenfolded in that thirtyfold range. So when I look at these verses, God's opened my eyes in a spirit of interpretation to see something entirely different. I see that actually that the persons out there that are going to going to be reacting uh, to these events of those seven angels, those seven trumpets, uh, those that are in alignment with God are going to see those as blessed, wonderful, healing, and and upsurging events and tremendous momentum of spiritual. Uh, um, uh, spiritual rescue uh, of each person who is able to uh, come into those interpretations. But the persons out there who cannot have an interpretation because they do not have a teacher, they do not have anyone to interpret for them, then they are going to see by their own understanding what on the surface appears to be hellish damnable consequences so when I read here in the 11th chapter of, uh, of Revelation and as I've taught you here several weeks past from the Bible where the Bible shows that there's stars falling to earth and stars falling into the sea poisoning the sea and and uh, exactly a third of the fish die or exactly uh, from the land uh, uh, star uh, fallouts uh, maybe a third of the grass is burnt and a third of the trees and, and when people read that um my God help them to understand that there is no star that could ever fall on this earth this earth is a speck compared to any star that would be like a, the sun our sun is a small as uh, a small um, a star and you could take a hundred thousand of our earths and put into the 
son, and it wouldn't even it wouldn't even be of any respect at all. It would just be nothing compared to the size of the sun, which is a star. And so there's no way that the sun is going to fall on the earth. And it's a smaller star. So some would say, well, it's probably talking about asteroids. If you just read what it says, and if you had that many asteroids of the size that it would seem to indicate fall on the earth, then Right now, that is the extinguishment of every living human being on the planet. So that is not what the subject is. That is not the understanding. What the understanding is, is to know it by interpretation. And without interpretation, then what you've got is a big black hole. And you're walking around the perimeter of that black hole, and a lot of people are falling into it and becoming non-believers. And that's what this manifest is about. And that's, that's what the, the Peace Bible is about. Uh, I'm getting a little excited with my message here, and I'm buttoned into the, uh, the uh, microphone stand. <laughs> I'm sure you'll have uh, mercy upon me. So, um, anyway, let's uh, go on, because there's so much to say. Let's get back to, to this whole thing about... Um, uh, about the 11th chapter here. We're going to get into the 11th chapter and uh, see if we can coordinate this uh, just a little bit more. Okay. Now, uh, in the 11th chapter of Revelations, okay, uh, verse 5. Now remember, these two witnesses are two olive trees and two candlesticks. So if we read it like this, and the two candlesticks and the two olive trees, if any man would hurt them, fire will proceed out of the mouth of the olive trees and the candlesticks and devour their enemies. Now, of course, that wouldn't make any sense to me uh, in a common way of reading and understanding. <clears throat> and I would suspect that it shouldn't make any sense to you either. Someone said, well, where are you getting this thing about uh, olive trees? It's the fourth verse. These two witnesses are the, are two olive trees and are two candlesticks. So, if And then coming right after that, and if any man will hurt them, at this point, the two witnesses have not been put into a human form. So when it refers to them, all you have to go back to is two witnesses and the description of the two witnesses being two olive trees and two candlesticks. And then immediately following that, after the end, if any man will hurt them, has to refer back to the two olive trees and the two candlesticks because it is never yet put these two witnesses as being human being form. Not yet. So the fire is proceeding out of the olive trees and out of the candlesticks. But the fact of the matter is we would have to go into this thing of well exactly what are these two olive trees? And what are these two candlesticks? Because until we interpret it, what the meaning of the two olive trees and the two candlesticks uh, were, 
then there is no way we could go on to verse 5. If any man will hurt them, then fire proceedeth out of their mouth. You can't go on to verse 5 until you know verse 4. Because verse 4 has to be understood. If you don't understand it, then you are getting into a muddle of misunderstanding. Because now you've got olive trees. You know, someone says, well, you know, we just sort of take it for granted. Well, don't take anything for granted. That's not the way you interpret the Bible. Because normally when you take something for granted, what you're really saying, well, I'm taking it from what I've heard my preachers say or what we taught in our church. I'm taking it from traditional ideas. And and I, I my intention is not to knock any minister or any tradition, no uh, religious group. But I want to tell you here right now that these are days that God is measuring the temple. <clears throat> and God is raising up ministry that is manifest. And the word manifest means to bring to light. So God is, is, is making a, a, a special manifest to the people and measuring the people. And it, it is a day of, of separating uh, people uh, that will love God with all their hearts, mind, soul, and strength and will come into the spirit of truth. And that is so very important. Well, let's just take a little break, and then let's go over, uh, let's go over to, um, to the book of Zechariah. That's in the Old Testament. And let's look at Zechariah, um, let's look at Zechariah chapter uh, 4, I believe it is. So, Zechariah chapter 4. And let's see what we're going to get there. Uh, this uh, is going to be interesting, I'm sure. Okay, we're going to look at, at uh, Zechariah, the Old Testament. Okay? And uh, I hope I've given you enough time. That's uh, you know comes right after Haggai and, and Habakkuk and Micah, Amos. Right after those books. And after Daniel. Zechariah 4 and it says and the angel that talked with me came again and walked with me as a man that is wakened out of his sleep now that's a very interesting description the angel came and talked with me uh, I, I know there's so many people out there that you would love to have that experience of an angel talking with you. And you would love to have that experience of an angel walking with you. But it might get to be a little bit um, lack, of, uh, lack of mental circulation when it says, as a man that is wakened out of his sleep. Because generally, a man wakened out of his sleep is a person that hasn't quite got all the 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 uh, fashion works of mental uh, contribution uh, for thinking right and thinking swift uh, going until he's had some time to sort of get everything into the mode so um, uh, why does it even bother to say that and said unto me the angel of course what seest thou? 
Well, he must have had a little time to get out of the sleep mode. And he said, um, I, I see a candle. And it looks like it's all gold. And it's got a bowl upon the top of it. And there, there are seven lamps and seven pipes to the seven lamps, which are upon the top thereof. Now, these candles, of course, is revealed here as a system. Like, uh, these candles are sort of like, um, almost like, like lamps that are lit by, um, like we would in the past use kerosene to light a lamp. Well, these were lit by various kinds of refined oil. And, and, uh, they would go through the pipes from one lamp, uh, to another lamp, which sort of functioned as being candles. And, uh, there was a whole system of sharing of, of this, uh, ignition fluid, uh, that would keep, you know, these lights burning. And, and the bowl, of course, was what held the fluid. And, and, and there were seven lamps and seven pipes to the seven lamps. And that makes sense. Every lamp that, that needed oil to burn and serve as a, you know, a, a way to see like a light, uh, they, they, they would have pipes to them so that every lamp would have a, a substance, uh, to burn and produce the fire or to produce the, produce the, the, the light. But it's interesting that there was seven of them. So there are seven, uh, you know, uh, there, there are seven, so to speak, uh, um, uh, lamps and there, there, um, uh, are uh, seven pipes to the seven lamps. And verse three, and two olive trees by it, one upon the right side of the bowl and the other upon the left side. Now we get into the right side and into the left side. And if I had time to break that out into the manifestation uh, of our recent transmission teachings, you would see the relevance uh, and how important that that could be. Now, after this having been said, uh, it's very interesting that it was, an, it was noted that he talked with the angel and he walked with the angel but as a man wakened out of his sleep, because the angel, angel says, well, what are you seeing? Well, he's seeing all this intricate work, uh, workings of, you know, the candlestick, uh, all of gold, and with a bowl on the top of the candlestick, and, um, and, and seven lamps thereon, and seven pipes to the seven lamps, uh, fueling it, uh, and they're on the top. Okay, if you just stopped right there, uh, and a person could say, "Hey, yeah, I, okay, I can, I can get that. That's that's easy to understand. Now, that's a vision." So, what do you suppose that they had the lamp out? Well, uh, they must have needed it, you know, like in their home, so that they had light in their house, or they must have needed it in their places of community fellowship, or in their temple, uh, or places of that need. Uh, but no, that doesn't seem to be the case. Well, what is the case? Well, verse 3. And two olive trees were by it. Uh, 
So it does not seem that unless these olive trees were miniature little uh, toy-made objects, which of course is not the case, it doesn't seem that um, that this uh, lamp uh, with the seven pipes uh, was um, in the uh, in the house. <sighs> Excuse me. And so, as we understand that, then we say, oh yeah, well no, it wouldn't make sense to have two olive trees in the house. <laughs> in fact, it wouldn't make sense to have two olive trees in the community meeting place or in the temple or or uh, any shelter. Uh, that this this lamp must have been outside. And uh, it was, you know, there uh, by the, the olive trees. Well, you know, what was it? Uh, was it a weather problem? And they were afraid that frost was going, to, um, was going to ruin the olives that produced the oil? Or were they somehow, in an unusual way, hooked up to the olive tree so that the olives were dripping oil into some receiver pan that was then going into these pipes that was then going putting the fuel into the uh, the bowl and then from out of the bowl the pipes continued and went to each individual lamp and and is that all set up uh, outside by these trees uh, boy that's really strange and no wonder then it makes sense when it says that he waked me as a man that is wakened out of his sleep because in a way it is sort of of an apology of saying okay yes the angel woke me up the angel walked with me the angel talked with me and then I saw these things after the angel said what do you see but you know the guy is recognizing that what whoa ah, that's really sort of like a crazy dream I, I, I don't know what that means I don't know why the this lamp especially with something that's gold that any wayfaring stranger could come by and say, is that gold? Whoa, anybody around? Let me grab that and run. Uh, is, you know, what's it doing out there by the two olive trees? Something is really different than how you look at it and read it. If you just read this, then it's, it's going to be just like someone waking out of a dream and really not having their cognition working quite right yet needs to be a little bit of circuitry of, of, of blood and of energizing by the, the mind as a person begins to come into uh, the full scope of, of being able to reason. And, uh, and, and this seems to portray that that, that, is, that is not the case. But then it goes, you know, it goes on in verse 4, uh, So I answered and spake to the angel that talked with me, now it's very interesting the words of King James, you know, and how they say, "So I answered and spake to the angel." Uh, but um, uh, they're they're um, you know um, he's already really answered it because the angel says, "What seest thou?" And he says, "Well, I see this this uh, lamp and and these pipes and and I see these olive trees." And then he says, So I answered and spake to the angel that talked with me, saying, What are these, my Lord? So um, he's basically saying, Although I answered what I saw, I did not feel that my answer was complete 
because it just didn't make any sense. It didn't make any sense because I don't understand there being this, you know, golden pipe with these, all this whole lamp uh, ordeal uh, outside by these two olive trees. So he's still he's still answering, uh, the, you know, the angel that said, "What is it that you see?" with a question. You know, because he is saying, um, what are these, my Lord? Now, it's interesting that this entity is introduced without any kind of a title. It just says, and the angel. But before this whole uh, insight or revelation or vision uh, is fulfilled, he's already come to the point that he recognizes that this angel is more than just an angel, that this angel is also a lord. And that definitely is another step up. Something interesting going on there. And uh, and he says, uh, you know, uh, what are these, my lord? Then the angel talked with me, answered and said unto me, Knowest thou not what these be? And I said, No, no, my Lord, I don't. I can't understand this whole scenario. And how many people are there out there that have this with the Bible? How many people in my lifetime, you know, of ministry? And I started preaching my first sermon when I was seven years old. Pastored my first church when I was 16. While I was still going to school, of course. They're a long time to follow. And, and, uh, and I'm 72 now. Uh, and, but I can remember, uh, for so many, many long years, how many people would say that they don't understand. And, and it's like in the, in the, in the book of the New Testament, when, um, the Ethiopian, uh, was sitting on a, um, a chariot and, uh, reading a book. And Philip passed by and he says, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he says, No, no, I don't. I need some help. So the whole world is out there, ladies and gentlemen. The whole world is out there. <clears throat> and believe me, they are needing help. It is the time for the temple to be measured. It is a time for the altar to be measured. It is a time for the responses of how the people are conducting to be measured. Because God is wanting to do something for them. He's far more interested in loving them. He's far more interested in healing them. He's far more interested in doing something for them than he is in judging or bringing punishment or bringing plague upon them. And I tell you, that's a 100% fact. Now the the um, uh, the gentleman who was in in the uh, chariot and who says no I don't understand this I need help and uh, evidently uh, Philip got up into the chariot and began to to read and explain it to him because it was scriptures about actually Jesus Christ and when he began to become energized with all of that information that he could he, he could he read it but he couldn't see it but as he began by that interpretation to be able to see the word of god he was so charged he was so energized he was so quickened that uh he and an environment happened there that philip was just translated away in an instant so i'll tell you it's an exciting thing 
to get into the understanding of the word of God and to know what it means and so the angel says you don't know what this means and he answered and said this is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel not by might not by power but by my spirit saith the Lord of hosts now what an answer of course this gentleman knew who Zerubbabel was because he was a, a famous uh, person and uh, uh, among the Israelites and those that were in captivity at the time and uh, uh, but what how different that is uh, by the spirit by the angel uh, when you begin to see some of the uh, the interpretations that are given by manifest revelation and and you look at it and you say well okay that's an olive tree and that is a uh, a lamp a mechanism uh, and then you think well I, I guess I understand that I don't really know why it's right next to the tree except the tree is a, a source of fuel um, and I don't know why those are connected like that but that, that must be the answer and you get to thinking that's okay and then you get to thinking that I've got the interpretation you don't really bother to take it any further but then when the angel speaks and says you don't know what this means and the fellow was honest enough to say uh, you know truthfully I do not know what it means I, you know, I'm sure he was embarrassed I'm sure he felt insufficient not to have an answer for something that, that was a vision that he could see, that the angel awakened him so he could see it. Uh, there, you know, uh, it's, it's interesting. I think dreams travel through the intersanctum of our mind. And in that rapid eye sleep, there's all kinds of transit times when these dreams come in. And the Bible says that, uh, you know, in the night, when a man sleeps, when he slumbers, uh, that, uh, uh, you know, God speaks in these dreams. He speaks once, he speaks twice, he speaks three times, and then he shows these marvelous things. So we know that by those scriptures that dreams have their divine moments. And uh, here in this divine moment, in this angel uh, uh, presence, um, uh, he was woke up at this exact time because that dream, that presence was right there at that turning point uh, of his rapid eye sleep and he was able to catch it and awake and remember it you know that if you don't wake up sometimes you don't even remember your dreams but if a dream is profound enough that it wakes you up then you remember it and sometimes they're very significant so these dreams sort of travel along those you know um, rapid eye transit uh, and and uh, if a person was able to really have a, the fullness of all the potential uh, that is given in uh, signs and and given in uh, uh, scenarios and, and and symbols and paradigms and in a language that needs to be interpreted, uh, a person could really be enriched by all that if they could get you know, get enough of it. Uh, so that they just didn't uh, just lose everything that's being revealed to their subconsciousness. Anyway, um, so he answers the angel answers and says, "Here's what this all means. Here's what this all means. This candlestick of gold, these bowls um, on the top of it with the seven lamps and seven pipes to the seven lamps, and the two olive trees by it. 
and, and, and the one on the right side and uh, of the bowl and the other on the other side of the bowl. Now, if you look at that, you say, okay, whoa, wait a minute. You've got these olive trees and you've got on the one you on the one side now let's, let's get this because you can see the magnitude of it this is this is very important uh, I, I think this is very neat the two olive trees by it one on the right side of the bowl and one on the other side on the left side so this means that this this whole mechanism of the lamp and, and the lanterns uh, and all of that was in the middle in between these two olive trees and so you could say in a sense uh, it was in between these parallels the parallels one on the right and one on the left and it was based in between it but in the greater understanding sense that these olive trees one on the right, one on the left and the candlestick with this whole system of, of, of lanterns being in the middle uh, according to the book 11 chapter of Revelations they're all the one and the same thing and uh, as we'll see as we progress on that and so then uh now let's listen to the angel and what he says O great mountain before Zerubbabel thou art become a plain and that's in verse 7 because verse 6 says and he said this is meaning this thing that you saw the word the word this is meaning what he saw you sure we're following this now the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel saying not by might not by power but by my spirit saith the host and let me just I know I'm I'm breaking this trying to break this down to make it as easily understood as possible so I'm going slow and I'm sort of repeating things so that you know you really can get the message that I have to deliver because it is so important so who would have looked at those olive trees and somewhere outside in a garden or in a planting these or these two olive trees and 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 in the middle you know, this this lantern set. Who would have ever thought, someone says, what do you think that means? I mean, how many people in the world would, would have said what the angel said? The majority of all the people that look at it say, well, what that means is uh, they're probably planning to, uh, maybe it's time to pick the olives and they want light out here so they can see what they're doing so they can work at night. Or maybe it's because there's frost problems and they don't want to lose their olives uh, or maybe it's because uh, they're planning on some kind of special worship service out here in the air out here in the open uh, 
they would have all kinds of they would say well there's nothing particular about it it's just the way that someone wants to uh, enjoy uh, how they decorate uh, uh, in their own uh, private party or property rather uh, okay <laughs> so you can have all kinds but they would all not be correct they would all have a semblance but they would not all be correct they certainly wouldn't be the interpretation by the word of God the angelic interpretation the spirit interpretation which was under the priesthood not by might not by power but by my spirit now the interesting thing is that the spirit contains both might and power but the thing of it is is in the revolution and inversion of the understanding of the revelation by God everything is always turned upside down you do not put power first and mightiness first you put spirit first and after follows contained within the works of the spirit the mightiness and the power and that's inversion and so to understand that you have to have an interpretation of God and this angel actually was interpreting to Zechariah just like the angel was interpreting to, to Daniel and that are, has, has had many cases throughout the history of the Bible uh, of, of uh, having instances that happened so that these things are interpreted and people hear the, this word and, and they're able to receive it by the Spirit. And, and surely they must be shocked. They must be astounded. They must be stunned when, they, when someone comes along and says, here's what it means. It means not by might, not by power, but by my Spirit. And, and there would be people out there saying, well, that, that's of the devil. That's not of God. That's of Satan itself. That's not what the meaning of this is. Because they would be just like those that army of Pharaoh that when they looked at the, 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 the overhead and the overcast of the overhead, it looked foreboding. It, 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 it looked dark and, and, and it looked dangerous. And, it, and they felt like, well, we better wait till morning before we attack uh, these people. And of course, that was just enough to give them time to, to, to get across uh, the sea. And and uh, but the other people saw it as encouragement, and, and they felt that the angels uh, were above them, and and they were, and and the angels were saying, "Don't be afraid, you know, we're here to comfort you, we are, we're here to protect you," and so uh, it's so different how the interpretation can be, totally not like what a person who is reading it by the flesh reading it by mental, physical logic, reading it by guesstimation, they would just not have such an understanding of this. Uh, this uh, goes on to say, now, let's take this up a notch. Let's take this up to, to, uh, from, to another fold. Let's get this into the 60-fold. Someone say, what do you mean 60-fold? That's the answer. Leave it alone. Don't change. Don't mess with the Word of God. Don't mess with the Word of God. If the Word of God by the Spirit said, not by power, not by might, saith the Lord of hosts, leave that alone. Don't you mess with that now. Says who? Says you? 
when do you think I'm going to stop, stop uh, the cogs of, of the glory and start listening to what you have to say? I'm not. And you shouldn't be listening to what anybody else has to say unless there's something being said that's really divine. As if you are going to have it appertain to your spiritual life. And I'm not trying to be hard or be smart, but I'm telling you I'm, I'm serious. Because this is the time to measure the temple. This is the time to measure the altar. This is the time to measure what the people's responses are and what they're doing with those responses. And so, yes, there's this one fold that came forth. And that one fold interpretation was not by might, uh, not by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. And, of course, if I took the time to, to really explain the meaning of the Lord of hosts and, and all of what that uh, contains, I mean, I, I'd, be, I'd, I'd be an hour just doing that. I won't do that tonight. But then the next part that comes forth, verse 7. Who art thou, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, thou shalt become a plain. Now we have a total contra happens. Something that is a mountain. Something that could be an ob uh, of object of interference is completely shattered and departicalized, dematerialized in a sense, and brought down to just being flat and level like a plain, uh, you know. And and uh, and it says, and he shall bring the headstone thereof with shoutings, crying, grace, grace unto it, and and that is the next step up. That's the next step up. That's like the next fold that is that's being revealed uh, on top of and after, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Then the next level. Now we're going to the sixty fold. You know, wow, wow. These things are just absolutely, absolutely beautiful. These are beautiful. Okay, and we're not done here with this fourth chapter of Zechariah. There is so much in this that pertains to the two witnesses, and we'll see here shortly. So, it goes on, verse 9, And the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands shall also finish it. It would be so powerful to have an angel come and say, say to you, you have, you have worked endless hours, Jerry Lee, on this manifest. You've worked endless hours on the Peace Bible. And now I'm going to give you the strength and I'm going to give you the help that you need to finish it. To finish it. To be able to say, it is finished. Wow. And there's people out there listening tonight, I'm sure, that there are dreams and expectations uh, that you have wished to, to become exalted uh, to a reality that you have desired. And, and it has not happened yet. And how wonderful it would be, uh, you know, in those spiritual uh, things that you pursue, uh, to have uh, uh, an occasion happen so, so that it happens with such, uh, uh, such magnitude and, and such reinforcement that you are suddenly told, no, you know, I recognize what you have done. And what you have done is you've laid a foundation. But let me tell you this, says the angel. You have not only laid this foundation, but with your own hands, I am going to, uh, by the Spirit, and, and help you uh, to, to finish it. And by this, you shall know that the Lord of hosts 
has sent me unto you. Wow. That I just tremble. Right now I just feel trembling when I'm thinking of this word. It is so beautiful. It is so enforcing. It, it, it is so, so reinforcing. It is so powerful uh, of comfort. Uh, it, it just makes a person tell you, uh, you know, and say to you, uh, you put in all this work. Uh, you, you put your life into it. You put your blood into it. Your sweat, your tears. Uh, but it's not in vain. This is the foundation. But you're going, your hands, your hands, you know, are going to be able to finish it. And if you say to me, whose hands are these? Then I'm going to say to the, to you, those are your hands. And you are going to be able to use those hands to finish this work. Blessed be the name of God. Verse 10. Who has despised the day of small things? For they shall rejoice and shall see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel. Now we're going on to almost like another uh, uh, fold of, 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 uh, of manifold range to understand some additional things. It says, with those seven, with what seven? Well, with the seven, the only seven that it mentioned in this entire whole chapter here was the seven pipes to the seven lamps. So the main noun of it was the seven light, uh, the seven lamps. So what's referring to here, with those seven, those lamps, the lamps that has the fire, the light, it says they are the eyes of the Lord, which run to and fro through the whole earth. Now, I, I want you to please listen to this. I want you to please get this. I want you to really turn in and turn on this important thing. Uh, if someone was to make a translation by the Spirit, and someone was to say, you see this second verse of chapter 4 of Zechariah where it talks about these seven lamps and the seven pipes that lead to them and you don't have the description here that those lamps are lit but you have um, the insinuation that that is the purpose for them and, and so then in that sense there's an indication that uh, they wouldn't be gone to all this work especially using uh, a golden a candlestick, uh, unless they were intending on using it. So there, there is there is uh, an insistence here uh, of their being used and the the fire glowing out uh, of those seven lamps. But you would look at that saying, yeah, the seven lamps. That's what it is. You know, be careful. Don't change the word of God. Don't don't mess with it. Don't don't uh, don't take it in to become something else. You'll be cursed if you do that. And the angel says, hey. You don't even know what it is that you're seeing. Because you're just awakened out of your sleep. You haven't come back to your memory that you that is buried in your subconscious. You you aren't into a full cognizance. And that's why you don't know what this means. And at least you're honest about saying, I don't know. And so I'm going to tell you what it means. And I'm going to take you by steps. First it means, you know, it's not by might. You know, 
it, 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 it's got a whole understanding. It's not by power. It's by my spirit. And then it steps up and it says, yeah, and uh, uh, it's, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to cause the mountains to change. They're going to get out of your way. The obstacles are going to be removed. They're going to just be a plane where you can walk over without any effort of having to go up uphill. And then it goes on and it says, you know, it tells about your hands. Something has brought you to this moment of sitting and listening to this broadcast. It's not an accident. You know, we, we aren't advertising this broad, these broadcasts. We aren't out there uh, trying to, to uh, advertise it on other uh, people's uh, uh, websites. Uh, you know, we, we aren't doing any of those things. And there may be a few people that, that are trying to help us do that. But I'll tell you, basically, we've not even advertised uh, this, this website, especially the, the broadcast. So we thank God for everyone that we have that comes on this broadcast. And we know that there are some groups that that uh, sometimes where it might where a number might be indicated there may be with that number that's indicated uh there may be 10 15 people that are sitting there listening but it's only recording one person we understand that we also know that people are coming back and in one case there's as many as 300 times that one of the tapes was listened to so there are lots of people coming and listening to these tapes, even though we've never advertised any of this. And I just think that's utterly, you know, incredible, and I thank God for it. But now, who, getting back to this interpretation thing, who, who would, if, if, I would, if it was me and I said, I said, okay, well, you know what those lamps are? Those lamps are the seven eyes of the Lord. And people say, what? What in the world are you talking about? Yeah, that's not all. And those seven eye, seven eyes of the Lord that are depicted here by by this uh, lamp uh, are are although they're they're in position between two trees, uh, don't think that they're just stuck in that one location. But they, from being in that location, their eyes are running to and fro, uh, fro through the whole earth. That means even on the other side of the earth, the opposite side of the earth, the upside down of the earth, that their eyes have already gone in the circuit all the way around, and from that two olive trees and that lamp that's in the middle of the two olive trees, those eyes of the Lord have gone out and circuited the whole earth. And wow, we're getting into the hundredfold stuff here. We're getting into the hundredfold stuff here. Then answered I and said unto him, Well, oh my God, this is incredible. I'm sure he was saying things like that. And he says, What are then? What are these two olive trees upon the right side of the candlestick and upon the left side thereof? Oh, the left and the right, the transmission, oh my. And I answered again and I said unto him, What be these two olive branches which through the two, two golden pipes empty the golden oil out of themselves and he answered me and said knowest thou not what these be and I said no my lord no I don't know and he said now get this I want you to get this I want you to get this these are the two anointed ones that stand by the lord of the whole earth these are the two anointed ones 
that stand by the Lord of the whole earth. Now, this ties in to the two witnesses, ladies and gentlemen. So this is a very, very important revelation in this fourth chapter of Zechariah. These are the two anointed ones. The olive trees are two anointed persons. Now this is the first time that in the terminology here that we have these um, uh, trees put into the form of an entity. These are two anointed ones that stand by the Lord of the whole earth. Wow. Okay. Now, let's go back to the book of Revelations, chapter 11. Let's go back. Chapter 11. Okay. Now, <clears throat> let's look at um, let's look at verse 3 of chapter 11. And I will give power unto my two witnesses. They shall prophesy thousand two hundred three score days clothed in sackcloth. <clears throat> and these are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. Now, <laughs> there's something very interesting here mathematically Zechariah only seemed to show one candlestick but he did show two olive trees but somehow there's a progression that has happened here from two olive trees and then the addition of one extra candlestick standing before the God of the earth. <coughs> wow. Wow. And we know that these two witnesses represent the two anointed persons that have these eyes that are going to and fro throughout the whole world there is somehow in that example given in the fourth chapter of Zechariah of this machinery of the seven lanterns <coughs> and the candlestick a an invisible parallel there because where is he getting this extra candlestick? Where is he getting that? Well, in the 14th verse of the 4th chapter of Zechariah, then he said, These olive trees are two anointed ones that stand by the Lord of the whole earth. Now, if you take the candlestick, which is standing by in the middle that we described in Zechariah 4, standing by in the middle between these two olive trees and now you add the Lord also standing there and you consider that Lord to also be a candlestick which in the terminology of this kind of interpretation that just goes right along with it now suddenly then you have two olive trees and you have two candlesticks 
which then brings you back to two witnesses. Now, when you understand that you've got two witnesses and that it's been, it's been doubled, because you have two candlesticks, one's already called the Lord, and you have two olive trees, then a person must say, the two candlesticks represent the Lord, and that's one of the witnesses. And the two olive trees represent that anointed one, which we still don't quite know who that is. So, we have in each case two entities, two witnesses. But each entity has a parallel. Each entity has, in one case, two candlesticks represented by one entity. In another case, two olive trees. Two olive trees represented by one entity. So you have something very definite, something very spiritual, something very parallel, something very important to understand that each of these two persons are dealing both in the infinity of that which is spiritual and in the infinity of that which is physical. And each person is dealing with it that is one of these witnesses. And that is the parallel, the left and the right. And each one of these two is dealing with that. They both are dealing with it. And they are not collectively dealing with it, the two of them acting on the one summation, but it is set up so each one of these two is operating, although they are in one sense collectively working together, in another sense it's like where Jesus said, my father worketh hitherto and I work hitherto. Uh, there's a work that each one of them does. Jesus said, my father is greater than I. Uh, just giving you a little bit of a, 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 an insight there uh, that you may begin to, to draw from. Wow. Praise the name of God. Okay. So, um, who am I going to say are these two witnesses? Well, one's already been revealed. He's the Lord. But then, we showed you uh, last week, and I hope that you were able to really get that message, because that was a very neat message. We showed you where Jesus was called uh, Lord, and we showed you where... Um, uh, Jesus prayed and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven, so that the Father is called Lord. And um, we showed you from Corinthians 2, verses 3.17, that uh, the Lord is that Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is also called Lord. And there are many other scriptures that we gave you, and if you need to review this, you should just go and review the tape. But we, we see that that the Holy Spirit can be Lord, that the Father can be Lord, uh, that the Son can be Lord. And they are actually all addressed that way as Lord. So uh, it's very interesting. Now we are going to, to say, and this is without finishing all of our message, and we're not quitting yet, but, but we're going to say that 
the two witnesses, the two witnesses are Melchizedek and Jesus Christ. And this revelation is very important. Someone says, oh, so that means that um, that means that they're those two are coming down to earth. The the father, are, are which you you've said that Melchizedek operates as the father, but the Melchizedek entity comes out from the father. Jesus, the Bible says, comes out from the father, and I have the scriptures for those, and we'll get to that, and we'll read that. And these are both coming out from the father, and they are going to be the ones here on earth that are that are going to fulfill the scripture as the two witnesses. And what about where it says they get killed? Well, what about it? Don't interpret that until you have an interpreter. And I, I'm going to interpret all of those scriptures for you so you can know what it's really talking about. So you have an understanding of the beauty of what it's really talking about. Because it is beautiful. I mean, it is beautiful when you really hear the whole truth. And it's going to be a little bit like back in the fourth chapter of, 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 of the book of Zechariah. How that the angel interpreted what was out there and how much more of magnitude, how much more of absolutely outstanding embellishment of, of the gender of reality in the spiritual sense and spiritual form that was there that, that could not be seen without it being revealed by the Spirit. And, and that's all coming. That, that's all going to be part of this incredible... Uh, this incredible, absolutely wonderful uh, revelation. It, it's just, it's, it's, it's exciting. There isn't any other way to put it. Uh, there isn't any other way to say it. It is just absolutely exciting. Uh, turn with me to Revel uh, Isaiah 43. Turn with me to Isaiah 43. I want to read something there. This will... Uh, and, and you want to write this scripture down and remember this scripture because it's an important scripture Isaiah 43 <coughs> verse 10 ye are my witnesses saith the Lord and my servant whom I have chosen ye you Plural are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen. Here we have the incredible statement that in the language of God it's like the use of the word Elohim. Last week we talked about Elohim and we talked about Echad and how that uh, Echad was part of the Shema that the Jews use and how that they are so caught up in this one thing but they don't understand that one as used in the Hebrew is actually a compound one and, and that it's not an absolute one and in the sense of a compound one that's why the term Elohim is used instead of Eloah It's so important to know that, to understand that.
and I gave you several scriptures, and you should be sure to go back and listen to it if you need that, because it all ties in. There's a continuity of all these meanings of what they apply to and what they mean. Ye are my witnesses, plural, and my servant, singular. So what I am saying, there is a Melchizedek ministry, there is a Jesus Christ ministry, which is after the order of the Melchizedek. These represent the Alpha ministry of the 12 Old Testament revelations and the Omega ministry of the 12 New Testament revelations. And there's something beautiful, oh, there's something so, so beautiful about all of this. And what I want to share with you on this is that this is talking not about two persons. These two witnesses don't represent two persons any more than that one uh, lamp, uh, a set of lamps in between the two olive trees represented just one set of lamps. But instead, in the Revelations, is showing they represent two. Neither do these uh, two witnesses represent two entities. They represent two compound entities, which are like two bodies that have many members. So these are two ministries that are going to be occurring in that time, in that, that event time. These, these two ministries are going to be incredible, sensational ministries. And I want, I want to reveal that to you. I want to show that to you. But we're going to stop right here. And uh, I don't even know if I can get this done in one more time. Probably I can't because there's so much beautiful things to share with you in this teaching and to, to bring you into uh, absolute scriptures, many scriptures, to back up this thing that I am saying. I'm just giving you a slight little outline that you'll be able to, to see by this outline uh, some of these beautiful things, uh, how, how that this, these ministries are going to be per persons who have trans-assimilated the, the, the blood and the body of Jesus Christ, which means the life that Jesus Christ lived in his mortal body, how he lived it. People are going to trans-assimilate that goodness into them and that human living into them. And then on the spiritual side, the spiritual living into them of Christ. Because there's always two parallels the one that represents spiritual infinity and the one that represents physical infinity. And these are ministries. And these are going to be those who have transassimilated that are going to be at this time of this event described in the 11th chapter. And oh, there's a pile of scriptures. And there's so much revelation yet. So much to be said. But it's far, far too much to even begin to think in any way whatsoever that we would want to finish it tonight because I would be preaching till midnight and I probably still would not get it done. So we want to stop because we want to have time for 
for our Gentile prayer. But uh, I hope that you're excited about this. And uh, I hope that you are praying for us on the final works of the uh, getting the manifest uh, and the Peace Bible uh, put into uh, publishing order. Uh, just pray for us. We just really appreciate that. And we're doing all that we can do to get that ready. And God knows what the situation is and, and the needs. And we just leave that all in God's hand. But now we're more concerned about people that are suffering. And the thing that came to me today out of an incident that occurred today is how there are so many people that that have problem with breathing. There are people that just because of their um, the way that um, they carry their bodies uh, that they have you know a compression uh, that that upon their their lungs so that that they never really get in a full deep good breath. Then there are people that that have um, various kinds of ailments and diseases. Uh, that are uh, uh, definite obstructions to their being able to really get good breath and good breathing. And we just feel so, so attracted uh, to the prayer for their needs, to the Gentile for their needs. Uh, I want to say that we've had some wonderful testimonies that have come in on the last Gentile that was done with the chromosomes. And, and we just thank the people that have witnessed those tremendous events and those tremendous Gentile. Uh, it is, it is just, it is just wonderful. So, here we go. All of you out there that need your breathing. And, and, and there's a lot of you people that do shallow breathing. You're not getting the oxygen to your body, the oxygen to your brain that you need. Hypothalamus to the pituitary, pituitary to the hypothalamus to the thyroid, to the lymphatic gland, to the parasympathetic, to the sympathetic neurotransmission system, to the cerebellum, to the white core brain tissue in the spinal column. Begin to send messages throughout the body. Come down through the corpus callosum to all of the hemispheres of the brain. The frontal lobe, the rear brain included. Begin to send messages, neuron messages, coded into the into the hormones. Here functions, here hormones. Begin to prepare yourself to go throughout the body, especially dealing with the the breathing system of the body, the lungs, and the compose of the body. Hypothalamus to the pituitary, pituitary, hypothalamus to the thyroid, to the lymphatic gland of the thyroid. Begin to send messages up the spine and back around in the circuit of the parasympathetic. And begin to send messages to accelerate the aeration of the whole breathing 
and lung responsive system. Wheresoever there are blockers, begin to move upon those blockers to eradicate them. Wheresoever there are inhibitors, begin to move upon those inhibitors to eliminate them. Begin this process as soon as all of your actions are put into order and formed to do so. So be it. Praise God. We've come to the end of our broadcast. And it was a wonderful time to be with you. And a wonderful time to look forward to next week and the many days and times ahead. It's a wonderful time to be in Jesus Christ. And I love Him so. And I'm sure you do too. God bless you. Good night.